This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Susan Korowski, Executive Director of the Pets for the Elderly Foundation, or PFE. PFE covers a portion of the adoption fee for seniors 60 years old or older. Adopting a shelter dog or cat from one of PFE's participating shelters currently spanning 35 states. As part of a story that seems particularly fitting for Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving, PFE launched this program in 2002, and the organization says this month, about 20 years later, they reached the milestone of helping underwrite the adoption by seniors of 100,000 shelter animals. One of the important concerns of any time a shelter offers a free or reduced cost adoption for seniors, or for anyone really, is to what extent these new adopters may experience challenges in covering the expenses of veterinary care, food, and other costs associated with caring for the new pets. With that in mind, PFE announced last year the expansion of its longtime grant program to include assistance with those expenses, again, for those folks at PFE's participating shelters who apply for the additional grant. PFE has recently embarked on a fundraising and awareness raising campaign with the objective of widening the program to all 50 states. We'll discuss these and other aspects of PFE when I speak with Susan Korowski in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Also, a programming note, on the show next week, that's December 1st, my guest will be Glenn Hatchell, who will be at the center of our third episode of Ask the Trainer, in which, as you may recall, we invite listeners to call in with questions about their dog's behavior or training, and Glenn responds with advice and counsel and suggestions of various kinds. So it's proven to be a very effective, well-received edition of Talking Animals, so I wanted to give you a heads up that uh, this is what's slated for next Wednesday's show, so you can maybe be pondering the kind of question like to pose to Glenn Hatchell next week here on Talking Animals. Meanwhile, later in today's program, I'll speak briefly with Kenny Bryant of Canine Dental Services, which specializes in anesthesia-free teeth cleaning for cats and dogs. We'll hear about that approach and an event this Saturday in Parish, where an event will be happening featuring opportunities for that type of dental care. More on teeth cleaning for pets later in this show. Right now, though, let's discuss various topics related to making it easier for seniors to adopt an animal via Pets for the Elderly Foundation with Susan Karowski. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813 813- 433-0885. This is Susan Karowski on Talking Animals on WNF. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. So Pest for the Elderly appears to have a, a long history and a somewhat, at least to my eye, complicated one in that early on it seems to have been intertwined with another organization. Maybe that was kind of the, the mothership initially. So can you walk me through how and when it was launched and how it kind of emerged maybe from... Uh, being part of another organization early on? Um, I'm not aware of the other organization you're referencing. Oh, well, every, everything I read and uh, have studied up on is, talks about the Abram Katz Foundation throughout the whole history of the uh, Pets for the Elderly Foundation. Got it. Yes, we actually were founded about the same time by the same man. And um, since his passing, there is a, a trust that covers 
portions of our expenses for both organizations. So that's the connection. But we have been um, a standalone with his interest. Uh, it was started in 1992 and went national in 2002. And so in the 10 years between those two uh, points, what was happening then? Was it um, functioning on a smaller scale, kind of with a different mission, or how? what was going on in that decade? Uh, from the beginning, our mission has been pretty much the same until these adjustments we made this year. But in 1992, uh, our founder sold a business and um, having a, a good deal of money, he wanted to start this organization because he knew how important his his dog was to him as an older, uh, now retired man. Um, from 1992 until 2002, uh, he was Cleveland-based, and we worked primarily just with shelters in Ohio and a couple in nearby Pennsylvania. Yeah, because I think in some of your uh, informational materials, <laughs> it talks about the national launch in 2002. So it does kind of imply, or that phrase, it does kind of suggest that it was more localized or at least regional um, emphasis initially. Yeah. yeah. And so who came up, This uh, you may have already addressed this in a sense, but who came up with the initial idea and what, more to the point, I guess, what spurred it? it it's so fascinating to me. As I mentioned, our founder was a single man. Um, he was in his early 70s when he um, sold this business and, and had this money that he wanted to use. And he had two primary focuses. Um, he was very, very troubled by the number of animals that languished in shelters. Um, not getting adopted, and uh, particularly at that point in time, we've gotten a little wiser in in the interim, but um, being euthanized for lack of space in, in shelters. And he also knew how important his dog was to him in keeping him connected and active and uh, less lonely. And so he launched this foundation and um i to this day i still like to say that we are a twofer when when someone gives to us they're actually helping two very distinct populations homeless animals and older adults yeah and so you mentioned earlier that the foundation kind of helps fund pets for the elderly foundation so is that one source of Revenue and then the donations that you just alluded to, the sort of two-for-ones uh, donations is kind of the other main source for uh, underwriting the ongoing work of Pets for the Elderly? Right. We are a public foundation, and uh, so uh, gifts made to us are um, tax-deductible to the full extent of the law. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it is limited how much funding we get from the trust. Yeah. Um, but uh, he does his um, foundation, the Avram Katz Foundation, does uh, provide enough support for us to cover some of the day to day expenses, like you know printer paper and that kind of thing. Plus, about fifteen hundred of the fifty five hundred or so adoptions that we help underwrite every year. Wow. Okay. Cool. So, so let's get in. I mentioned in the introduction that. Um, the PFE kind of helps pay uh, a portion of the adoption fee for seniors 60 years old mm-hmm. or older. Um, so is there a formula for that, or is there a flat fee across the shelters that do participate, or how is that determined? We have uh, 
for those that are providing the discounted adoptions, it's a maximum of $50 uh, per adoption that they get off the cost of adoption. And clearly, because we're national now, the cost of adoption can be quite different in um, Dubuque, Iowa, and Monterey, California. But uh, the maximum for all of them is is fifty dollars. So that's and what. So, sorry, sorry to interrupt there, Susan. I'm just going to make sure I understand. So the shelter, regardless of what its normal adoption fee would be, if they're participating in PFE, they would get fifty dollars for that that kind of subsidized adoption, regardless of, of what they ordinarily would would get for an adoption fee. That's correct. Okay. Uh, yes, and that is for anyone age. 60 or over who meets their other adoption um, requirements. You know, each shelter has a, a screening process for any adoptions that occur. But uh, once, if they are 60 and over or over, they get our uh, discount that we provide. And they do not have to apply, the seniors do not have to apply to us. This is all handled by the shelter. We provide a grant to them they utilize that grant to give the discount and report the adoption to us. So it's really pretty pain-free for the senior. Yeah, it sounds uh, like it's kind of designed to be uh, as simple as possible rather than a lot of uh, red tape and paperwork, et cetera, to, uh, to you know, get that reduced uh, um, adoption to go through. Um, has, has there been a, a, a time or circumstance over the years that you're aware of when PFE paid uh, the full adoption amount for seniors? Um, yes. When we first started, uh, when it was limited just to Ohio, mm. there was a time that we were paying, um, and it was, it was a learning process. For all of us, we were paying the full adoption fee and realized um, that, that that wasn't wise for us financially and it wasn't always um, beneficial for getting some of, the, um, some of the animals out of the shelter. In addition, um, I, I'd like to mention going back to, you know, what's charged at at the various shelters. Mm -hmm. You know, there are cases where there are promo events or maybe it's standard that it's, say, $35 to adopt a cat. Yeah. And uh, if you're 60 or over, um, and and this is purely at the discretion of some of our shelters, some will say, okay, the, the fee is fully paid by Pets for the Elderly and let them you know, adopt the cat. Others will charge a minimum fee. They they feel that people are more invested if they pay something, and so they will um, charge five or ten dollars. And um, pets for the elderly picks up the difference. Yeah, that's exactly, in fact, where I was heading with my my question before we went back to to the <laughs> earlier topic. No, that's fine. Just because uh, I wondered if there might be a philosophical kind of foundation to 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 or underpinning to that. Uh, just the, the very idea that you kind of mentioned that that uh, I think parents and others have, have known over the years that if if a kid or whoever it might be pays at least a portion of the cost of something, um, they're literally more invested in that item and more likely to be 
you know, diligent about uh, caring for that item or whatever that might be, maintaining it, et cetera. So it sounds like that's indeed um, kind of inherent to the uh, partial but not full subsidizing of the adoption fees. Right. And this is really structured more as a senior discount. And frankly, being in that age category myself, we, we seniors like our discounts. Sure. And, uh, and why shouldn't you? Right. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it's, um, you know, I get emails and, and letters from people who have uh, benefited from the program. And quite often they say, this was a complete surprise. I didn't know I was going to get this money off. And so I used it to uh, buy a pretty collar and spend some money in the shelter's gift shop. Or, um, you know, it's, it's not a need-based Thing. It is a, it is a, a an incentive. <laughs> yeah. Well, wait. So uh, make sure I understand that. So a senior might go to to their shelter, and it turns out that that is a PFE participating shelter, and try to uh, the process of, of adopting an animal there, and only sort of be surprised to learn that 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 adoption is going to be subsidized. Not they're not actually seeking that out initially. Right. It, wow. it happens fairly often. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, that because you'd think part of the uh, the virtue of this is that for seniors that really would love to adopt a cat or a dog, but just can't maybe swing the full adoption fee, that they would be in search of something that would kind of make it more practical and possible for them to to proceed. Oh, we definitely have those people too. Yeah. And one of the things um, that's important to us, many, many of our shelters, our participants now have been with us since we went national, since 2002. And it's important for us to have a good relationship with that participating shelter. And we want them to become known in their community as a place where not just that um, it's are not just that it's discounted for uh, older adults to adopt an animal, but it's welcoming and safe. Um, I've experienced it myself. Not all shelters are kind to older adults. Um, and, and so it's important to us that we have a long-established relationship with our shelters and that uh, this becomes one of their their positive reputations in the community is that it's a good place for seniors. Yeah. Um, let me let folks know this is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Susan Kurowski, Executive Director of Pets for the Elderly Foundation, PFE, which covers a portion of the adoption fee for seniors 60 years old or older adopting a shelter dog or cat from one of PFE's participating shelters. If you'd like to ask Susan a question or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So at the risk of sort of asking a possibly obvious or self-evident uh, kinds of question here, what's driving this over these 20 years now, I guess, and, and prior to that really informally, but good 10 before that? What does PFE feel are the virtues of seniors living with cats or dogs? And what are those conclusions, I guess, based on? That's, I, I love this question. <laughs> As I mentioned, when our founder started the organization, he seemed to know instead 
instinctively that his dog made him healthier emotionally and physically. And it's only been since he first started the organization that little by little this actual medical and scientific evidence has come forward. I think the first thing I remember seeing is, um, you know, 15 years ago, petting your cat or helped lower your blood pressure. And little by little, there has been more and more of this type of evidence that has come out. Um, we were mentioned in a Harvard Women's Health newsletter a few years ago about heart health and owning uh, an animal. And um, uh, I, I attended a seminar a couple of years ago put on by AARP, and it was about the impact of isolation and loneliness on senior citizens and the health impact, the health impact cause of being isolated is about the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. Now, right. And I think all of us are more aware than ever of isolation and loneliness since the pandemic started. And, uh, I, I cannot tell you how many people who communicate with me about their animals tell me, you know, she saved my life or uh, my dog taught me to laugh and play again. I'm 72 years old and it's made such a difference. I got a little dog and I'm walking in the community and now I'm a chick magnet. <laughs> <laughs> and our mental health affects our physical health as well. Plus, having a, a, a pet relying on you, something that needs you, keeps you to a better routine, mm -hmm. it helps you take your medications on time, helps you get a little more exercise. Right. Um, it's, it's good to be needed. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like those uh, companionship and health benefits are, are pretty well documented. I, I don't think I'd heard the equivalent to the isolation and the 15 cigarettes thing. That's uh, interesting. I'm not quite sure how that would be determined or quantified, but it's an interesting uh, observation. It was a study done at um, a medical center in California. I can't remember. I don't have that information right in front of me sure. now, but yeah. it was, and it was more about the cost yeah. of of isolation, but it is, you know, we have, have focused more than ever in the past 18 months about bridging that isolation gap. Sure. And um, my husband and I are, you know, both seniors ourselves, and obviously I don't live alone, but you don't always have to live alone to be lonely either, and mm -hmm. I think that our dogs have provided so much um, amusement and entertainment during this um, being shut in a little bit more. So I am very, very grateful for, well, I'm always grateful for my animals, but this time has shown me alone, and I'm just one of many, how important my pets have been at this time. Yeah. So let's take a, a moment and, and talk some numbers and mechanics, I guess. So if I'm not mistaken, PFE currently works with 57 uh, participating shelters in 35 states. Do I have that right, right so far? Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. So now to me, that feels like a little bit of a thin state to shelter ratio about, I guess, one and a half shelters per state. And what seems like uh, 20 years in, like a I guess a somewhat small number of shelters overall. So tell me how a shelter becomes a PFE participating shelter. I mean, do you approach a shelter or do they apply to you or how does that work? They apply to us 
and we have um, a fairly short adoption, I mean, application process. It's a form that needs to be filled out and some uh, photos that have to be submitted. I, at this point in time, it's impossible for me to travel to each of the shelters to make sure that they physically look like they'd be a good fit for us, so we rely on some photos. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's simply an application process right now. We are giving preference to shelters that apply to us that are in states where we don't have a participating shelter. And uh, there are some, I mean, clearly we have two small participants in Texas, and that's a big state. Having two in Texas is not the same as having two in Rhode Island. And so, you know, we would look at adding a third if if the location was right. The reason we're so limited is, um, yes, they have to apply to us, and we need to be able to fund them long-term and going into, um, uh, I'm sorry, my dog is talking in her sleep. Okay, well, <laughs> this is a show called Talking Animals, so I think that's entirely appropriate. Um, so uh, we need the funding to be able to expand the program. And uh, right now we have enough funding that comes in from um, I write grant requests and we do personal appeals and uh, we have enough funding that comes in to support what we have right now. And um, I have a budget of about $310,000 a year to cover about 5,500 adoptions and other services. Mm-hmm. Uh, ideally, if we were in every state, I need to raise or we would need to raise about $600,000. But then we'd also be helping about 10,000 animals a year. Right. If you hit that level, you would need to double your operating budget, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'm just curious about right now, I know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, there's a a campaign underway to, as you just noted here, expand the number of of states, participating states, from the 35 currently to the 50 or close to it. But I'm also just wondering, like, for example, I'm talking from Florida. So uh, mm-hmm. when I look at the number of participating shelters in Florida, there's just two, which is uh, seems like a very, very small number considering the number of animal shelters throughout the state of Florida. So I'm just wondering why there isn't at least an equal emphasis on expanding the number of shelters in a given state while looking also at the moment as you are to expanding the number of states that participate. Uh, there are two answers to that. At, at one point in time, we did have four participating shelters in the state of Florida. Uh, we have an interest, had an interest there because that's where our founder retired. Yeah. And um, we did have four. Sometimes shelters choose to leave the program. We have a pretty stringent reporting process. We feel that we owe it to our donors that um, we're keeping an eye on, on where their funding, the funding they gift us goes. And so we do require some pretty stringent support from our shelters. And some just didn't want to have to do that, frankly. So can you say a little <laughs> bit more about that, um, Susan, just about like the criteria for becoming a participating shelter? And then sounds like what you're addressing now is sometimes the, the challenges uh, from one side or the other of the equation of remaining a participating shelter. So be great maybe right. just to, to have you lay out kind of what the criteria is just to get started and, and then to remain an ongoing participating shelter. With, with the shelters that apply to us, it's um, about a, a three-page application, which is 
not um, unusual for um, this type of thing. We ask them for their mission statement, their euthanasia policy. Their, they must be a 501c3 um, charitable organization themselves for us to be able to give them grants. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ask for pictures of the shelter, when they were founded, who their board is, that kind of thing. It's pretty it's a pretty standard application process, yeah. but they do have to agree to submit to us. Um, we've recently changed it. It's now uh, twice a year. They have to submit to us photos of the adoptions, which is, um, you know, good proof to us that they actually occurred. Sure. And um, a spreadsheet of uh, the information about minimal information about the adopter and uh, what the adoption cost and what our portion of the cost was. And this has to be done um, on, a, on a pretty regular basis. It used to be every three months. Um, one, one of the challenges for, for many, many organizations that apply to be in our program is that they have a lot of volunteers with high turnover who um, forget to tell the next person how to do the report. Mm-hmm. Or uh, since the pandemic, um, everyone seems to be short-staffed. And so it's just harder to do paperwork. They, and um, that seems to be the basic problem. I, have, mm-hmm. I did have a wonderful, wonderful um, participant in California who... Um, was absorbed into another larger organization, and because I could not justify the budget it would take to allow them to be part of the entire, allow the entire organization to be part of the Pets for the Elderly program, because they had four locations and it would have just broken the budget, yeah. um, they had to step away from from that. So there are there are different things that um, they just decided. Kind of, they kind of don't want to do that paperwork. <laughs> I see. Yeah. So is that also kind of related to, uh, as we noted, that PFE is in 35 states? So would you say that one of the things that's prevented that number from getting closer or reaching 50 is some of the, the requirements that you've just outlined, or are there other factors too in terms of have you not actively sought that number previously just because you you've noted that. There's a certain amount of budgetary requirement that would be, be need to be in place to add X amount more shelters and or states. At this point in time, it, it's unusual. I've been with the organization, it'll be 16 years in January. And uh, I have never had a shelter from Montana apply to be part of the program. Hmm. Um, or I'm, I'm trying to think we we used to have one in Oklahoma, and they dropped from the program. Um, so, but I don't think I've ever had one in Utah either. So, um, I have at times tried writing to various shelters in the states where we are still lacking participants, and or or getting recommendations for um, from other shelters about do you work with anybody in this state and and who they would recommend, and I have reached out. And um, not gotten a response. So, hmm. Interesting. Um, I I don't know how we have tried attending a um, animal expo at one point in time that's uh, attended strictly by shelters and tried 
making people aware of, you know, the management of these shelters, making them more aware of our organization through that. And um, I think we got one shelter participant out of Mm. that and and a lot of good insight. Actually, that was a lot of the insight that caused us to make this recent change to the program. And and what change are you referring to? Uh, At the beginning of this year, we allowed our participants to... um, choose between, they they can't participate in all of them, but if they would rather offer a different program like um, vouchers for veterinary care Mm -hmm. or um, a a retention program or a food shortage need program, um, they can choose to do that instead. I get a in, lot instead, of Instead, sorry, instead of the uh, subsidized adoption fee, you mean? Is that, yeah. Is, is it's one, it's mm-hmm. sort of one or the other, it sounds like then. Right. I see. It would be lovely, again, with enough funding in our coffers, it would be lovely to be able to tell them they can do more than one of those. Yeah. But at this point in time, and, and this is our first year in this expanded program, at this point in time, they can they can participate in one or the other. So... Uh, we only have, I think, five shelters that are doing other things other than the discounted adoptions. Um, and they are doing things like um, they are discounting out of their own pocket the cost of adoption of the pets. And then Pets for the Elderly is providing six months of medical care in the, in the form of flea and tick preventative mm. Mm-hmm. To, uh, to the adopters, which gets them in the mode of doing something that's important in that particular region. Yeah. Uh, we have another one in uh, New Mexico where, you know, sometimes people are fully able to care for an animal when they adopt it, and then something happens. And so uh, at times there are uh, people that need help with veterinary care. So that particular shelter does not have an on-staff veterinarian, but they are providing, um, they have their own little application process, and they are providing vouchers with the funding that we provide. I see. Yeah, that's interesting because budgetary constraint kind of, of course, often dictates what happens. But one concern, I think, when shelters provide discounted or free adoptions is, will these folks who've been enabled to make an adoption that they otherwise maybe wouldn't uh, say they could afford... Then are they are they hard pressed to cover the other expenses, the vet bills, the food, and so on? So it's it's interesting that so far, at least with this introduction of this new program of yours, that it's kind of one or the other, but not both. So I guess they really have to rely on that shelter to step up with the other one. Otherwise, they're they're sort of back to where they started. Well, and as I mentioned earlier. Each of our shelters, there are very few now, maybe a couple that um, were grandfathered in from uh, back in 2002, but there are very few shelters in our program that do not have adoption counselors. And we do not interfere with their adoption application process. And um, they have standards. And uh, quite often, I Frankly, I have been rejected by a shelter for adopting an animal. I didn't meet um, their their particular brand of a fencing requirement for the dog, and uh, which was really embarrassing. Yeah, I would think that would have been a surprise for sure. Yeah, it was it was a surprise and it was embarrassing. Um, 
um, especially because I already worked for this organization, right. so to be rejected was, was kind of difficult. But, you know, if the shelter deems that this person isn't able to care for the animal going forward, they are um, totally within their rights to, to say, no, we don't think this is an appropriate adoption and deny it. Yeah. And, which which you kind of yeah which I mean and in some ways you kind of want to see happening because sometimes uh, again this is a whole philosophical divide in the shelter world but sometimes the idea when people when shelters have discounted or even free adoptions whether it's for seniors or just others there's a whole uh, philosophical gulf about yeah that's great to get uh, those animals out of the shelter and into homes but to what extent are you scrutinizing the ability of these new adopters to be able to again provide ongoing vet care food other things or an example that you uh, were on the wrong side of unfortunately fencing if that's an important thing for that animal so sometimes you, you kind of want them to be sort of diligent even if it means you know some some bad news for a prospective adopter including yourself Yes, we expect that. We expect them to hold to their standards. But as I said earlier, it's quite possible that people completely qualified when they adopted the animal and life happens. And now they find themselves in a tough spot and they need help with, um, with, with some aspect of the cost. I think probably the most frequent call I get saying, can you help with this? is um, generally widows who have had their dog for many years and the dog develops cancer or some other severe disease and they want help with the medical cost. But when they got that dog eight years ago, they were just fine with, yeah. with the cost. I think the Humane Society of the United States estimates that having a dog costs about $1,200 a year hmm. and... Um, that's routine vet visits and, you know, decent food, water, sure. that kind of thing, uh, maybe licensing. And so, uh, you know, you can, a lot of retirees can, can qualify for that, but they can't qualify for a sudden shock. Right. No, absolutely. And it also sounds like from what you described, including like the, the visit to the, the animal conference and some other things that sometimes it sounds like at least partially a, almost a marketing issue in that just even since I've done some social media posts about our interview today, a number of people seem to be responding and sort of tagging people to check this out because I think they feel like, wow, that, that's something I didn't know existed or I don't know if our local shelter can do something like that. So it does seem right. like sometimes it is just an awareness issue. And also, I guess, I'm wondering, in your mind, to what extent is, is one obstacle maybe to adding more shelters to your program, simply that a number of shelters have their own kind of senior program. For example, my mother-in-law adopted a senior dog. Uh, this is from uh, Peggy Adams Animal Rescue League in West Palm Beach. And, uh, mm -hmm. and part of their sort of seniors adopting seniors, that's not what it's actually called. I think it's gray whisker with benefits or something. But the idea is that a se senior person uh, adopts a senior dog and the benefits every which way are, are sort of multiplied. So I would think that yeah. that, that, that kind of shelter and others that, that do something similar would maybe be less interested necessarily in participating in the PFE program. Yes, but we, we do have um, a couple of shelters that already had a senior program when they asked to join us. And what happens is that the funding that we provide, the dis, you know, the discount on the adoption, frees up 
the money that comes from the shelter for a discounted adoption mm. to to help others. And so um, perhaps it, it expands their educational program. Or um, I'm thinking of uh, Animal Friends in uh, Pittsburgh in particular that has just an amazing number of educational programs. And, um, you know, they even have bereavement sessions when somebody... Uh, once a month, if you've lost a pet, you can go and, and sit in. So um, many of our shelters have been wise enough, I guess I would say, to take the funding that, that's coming out of their own pockets for a, a discounted senior program to um, use our funding instead and uh, have their funds freed up for something else. Yeah. yeah. And uh, as we're sort of nearing the end of our, our time, Susan, but I'm curious if someone is part of the PFE program, let's say they're helped in adopting a, a dog. Is there some way that that person could come back, say, in a year or two or whatever, and apply to get uh, the ability to adopt say, a second animal, a cat or a dog, or is it just sort of one per customer? Uh, we, again, we guide our shelters to be aware of who their applicants are. We certainly don't want to uh, uh, encourage any kind of hoarding issue. Yeah. However, if it's, like you said, six months later or a year later and they come back and they say we'd like to add another or um, it's perfectly fine for them to get a discounted adoption, it's also possible um, several of our shelters have used this possibility. Sometimes there are bonded pairs, and maybe it's um, a couple of eight-year-old dogs who are bonded and have to go to the same home. And in a situation like that with bonded pairs, we allow them to give the $50 discount on each animal. Oh, I so see. You could, get up, you could get up to two at a time with our program. Yeah, that's great that there's that kind of flexibility because sometimes those bonded pairs, I mean, you, you never want to see them uh, split up. There's any way to avoid that, so that's great that there's uh, provisions for those. Absolutely. that was. Uh, uh, we get quarterly what we call success stories from our participants, and that was actually um, one of our recent stories from one of our participants was an 80-year-old man who had lost his St. Bernard, was used to dealing with big animals and had this, the shelter had this bonded pair that had been there for a little while and he was able to take them both and they were very confident in his ability because he was an active 80 year old and he had experience with big dogs and uh, it's, it's just a, a phenomenal success story in, in our mind. Yeah, no, that's great. And it sounds like there's been a long track record and, and, and even with that, that you guys are trying to uh, both expand the program and um, and you know having recently added the uh, the option of of help with uh, vet care food or whatever as opposed to the subsidized adoption it sounds like you're really trying to widen out what you can do to help yeah and it all takes money yes yes <laughs> so uh, well let, with that in mind we should uh, mention again that the website is petsfortheelderly.org so there's all kinds of information about some of the things we've been talking about and ways you can find out more and how to get involved if you're interested yourself or how you might want to support the uh, Pets for the Elderly Foundation so we've been speaking with Susan Karowski from Pets for the Elderly Foundation Susan thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals and uh, thanks for uh, finding helping find all those uh, cats and dogs all those homes that's quite a quite a big number at this point 
we're thrilled with it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye. In a moment, I'll speak with Kenny Bryant of Canine Dental Services, which provides anesthesia-free teeth cleaning for cats and dogs. And we'll be doing so this Saturday, November 27th, at Leo and Lucky's in Parrish. Right now, that we're going to step into the comedy corner with something by the wonderful K. Trevor Wilson with part of a piece I'm calling Deer in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. Started backtracking to the not miss my turn. I was going a little bit slower this time, and luckily I was going a little bit slower because that's right when I almost hit the deer. And that is startling, to say the least. Uh, in an unrelated story, I can tell you how to get stains out of a rental car. Uh, it involves club soda and a lot of Febreze. Uh, you don't really need the Febreze, but I will recommend the Febreze. Yeah. That is such a startling thing when they dart out in front of you like that. And, and I consider deer to be very beautiful, very graceful creatures. But it's amazing how fast they turn into when they cut you off on the highway. Like, I had never sworn at a deer before. I had never had cause to do that in my life. I cursed out a deer that night. I swore a strip up and down that animal. And I know deer don't speak English. I know that. But this deer looked like he got the point. He backed away from that exchange very sheepishly. Just, sorry, my bad. Family's over there, just trying to cross the road. And that whole interaction made me realize something, and it's that uh, it is high time deer step it up and figure out cars. I feel like we have done quite a bit to prevent ourselves from hitting them. I think deer need to step it up a bit and pitch in, because cars aren't brand new anymore. They've had a few deer generations to get used to this concept. I think we need some old deer to sit down some young deer and lay it out for them. Be like, hey, you know those big metal animals with glowing eyes? Stop racing those. Stop it. And don't just stand there in the street staring at them. What are you, high? Get out of the road. That was Kay Trevor Wilson in today's Comedy Corner with a piece I'm calling Deer. At the moment, Kenny Bryant of Canine Dental Services does not seem to be available, so we're going to try him again before the end of the show. And uh, meanwhile, we're going to... Uh, play an animal song from the Sun Society's version of Octopus's Garden from the Talking Animals Fest number two several years ago. It's Octopus's Garden from the Sun Today on WMNO.
That's the late great Sun Society. Thank you. Doing, covering the octopus's garden as part of the uh, Talking Animals Festival from uh, a little over a decade ago at this point. Wow. Anyway, unfortunately, didn't have any luck uh, yet again trying to reach uh, Kenny Bryan of Canine Dental Service. So I'll just tell you that, well, among the things we would have talked about, which I thought was interesting, is they have a uh, technique that involves cleaning cats and dogs' teeth without involving anesthesia, even, I guess, apparently regardless of what kind of teeth and gum situation they're looking at. So I was going to hope to speak with that, and also I think they'll be providing services, uh, mobile service, I guess, this Saturday, November 27th at Leo and Lucky's in Parrish, Florida, from 2.30 to 6 p.m. So would have found out a bit more about that or how to maybe book an appointment or whatever. But uh, unfortunately... No Kenny Bryant for that today. So let's move on. And uh, it's time to name that animal tune. So I'll be offering a uh, a prize from the Talking Animals Vault to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. Let's name that animal tune on Talking Animals on WMNF. take your guests as soon as we get off the air. Certainly a band that's uh, making headlines at the moment for a big tour that uh, may be their last hurrah of that kind. Coming up on MWF, uh, shortly the music kicks back in with Scott Elliott from noon to 3 p.m. A glorious three hours of music followed by Robin Hooper with another three hours of music and we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. So stay tuned. Coming up shortly will be NPR News headlines and then right into the, the fab, fab, fab Scott Elliott. So we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. I hope you'll join me next Wednesday when, as a reminder again, my guest will be Glenn Hatchell reprising the Ask the Trainer segment. I invite you to join me for that show. I also invite you to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. Apple Podcasts are available there too, as well as on other podcast platforms. There are links to our Facebook page, our Instagram page, Twitter feed, and more. So check all that out and uh, like or subscribe or follow, whatever the case may be. And you can also subscribe to our newsletter there to find out about our guests a couple of days beforehand and other news from the Talking Animals headquarters. That's all at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Happy Thanks Vegan to you and yours. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wikiwachi, and beyond. We'll catch you next Wednesday, 11 a.m. right here with Glenn Hatchell answering your questions about dogs, their behavior, their training, other things. Always been great in our first two ones. I'm sure this next one's going to be great as well. All right, 
Enjoy your uh, your holiday weekend. We'll see you next Wednesday here on Talking Animals on WMF Tampa. Thanks.